The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Visual Workplace. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I'm your host on this, our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak. In each of our shows, we look at some aspect of that, of how to embed the intelligence of our operational system into the living landscape of work. And we do that through visual devices, through visual mini-systems, through visual information sharing. We install the language the living physical language of our current operational system, of our current understanding of excellence into the physical landscape of work. And when we do that, we make that excellence and that thinking, that intelligence, concrete and very specific. And we do it by way of the devices, of the systems. We can literally see how we think. We can literally predict what will happen as a result of that because we've captured it through these devices. And why do we bother? We bother because of the bottom line benefits in terms of improved safety, better quality, more aligned delivery, shrinking costs, and because of the splendid cultural alignment, a spirited and engaged workforce on all levels, not just operator level, although it's very dynamic and dazzling the extent to which operators can not only be involved in improvement, but also become thinkers and self-leaders. It's there in potential, and visuality is a framework within which that can happen. And you know what else? We also enjoy ourselves along the way. We enjoy ourselves at work. The enterprise becomes increasingly harmonious, aligned, fluid, conscious. And you know what? That's fun. It becomes fun to go to work. As Ono said so many years ago, Taichi Ono, the co-developer of the Toyota production system, people don't come to Toyota to work, they come to think. And in his mind, that was the benefit that he had partners in thinking, not just isolated in the boardroom, but thinkers, people, every person was thinking about their work, about their contribution paying attention, becoming scientists of whatever their work was. So welcome. (laughs) Really glad you're here. Welcome to the Visual Workplace. We have a special day today. I'm going to dispense with almost every announcement except please visit our website. It's finally working. Yes, you can become a member and the podcasts are available. They're on an outrageous sale this month, $5 for the introductory set. I think they're usually $25, but $5 for the introductory set. 
And you can get these podcasts edited commercial-free, and we offer lots and lots of other things to support the knowledge and know-how you need on your visual workplace journey. So please take a look at visualworkplace.com. And and that's it on the announcements, because we have a special day. Today, we're going to welcome and interview Kendall Henry, who is the plant manager of a wonderful facility in Rhode Island called Slatersville, I'm sorry, MWV, which is, um, oh, let's see, I better not go there, uh, because Kendall will tell you all about it. Um, He is the plant manager of a plant that I've been working with for a little bit less than a year, and when we were... um, when I was working on site, we had some conversations that I found simply riveting from the point of view of leadership. And if you'll remember, only a week ago, we finished a 40-show series on visual leadership and on the role of the executive. At least half of those shows were on the role of the executive as the leader of improvement. New job description not just growing the company in terms of marketing and sales and being competitive, wiping out your competition, but also being a leader of improvement within the company as an executive. And that's why I invited Kendall to join us today, because for me, he represents that. Now, Kendall doesn't know I'm going to be using these words, and I'll be introducing him in a moment when he has a chance to say something back. But for me, Kendall is a Barracuda leader, the way we described it. He is a leader that on the inside is burning for a kind of visionary change, burning for what I call lunch, burning for improvement, an accelerated improvement, and a march towards making the organization better day by day, breath by breath, like a Barracuda is hungry for lunch. That's who he is on the inside. On the outside, he's a really nice guy. He's politically correct. He's interpersonal. He's clear. He's compelling. You want to follow him. But on the inside, he's a volcano. And it's this wonderful balance between the desire for betterment and being okay with your fellow human beings, working with them and respecting them that I find to be so important in this balancing act of leading an organization into an improved future. So I am now going to introduce Kendall and we're going to begin our conversation and I hope that you uh, listen carefully because there are many, many nuggets in this. You'll see. Kendall Henry, welcome to the Visual Workplace. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Gwen. I'm a little bit surprised uh, at the things you said, but that's really wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate yes. it. Oh, yes. Good. So we'll find out both why you're surprised and why you are um, exactly that profile. And I, uh, I'm really so pleased. Uh, as my listeners know, uh, this is the first time I've done an interview in about a year and a half. It's because they are a tremendous amount of work. But also, I want to make sure that the people that we interview have something that is um, aligned with what this show is about, which is about operational excellence. So, welcome, welcome, and thank you. Let's just jump in. So, 
I would like you just to set the stage by giving us a profile of MWV and giving us the secret name that's behind that. I always get the pieces of it mixed up, as I, I just demonstrated, and give us a, a sense of uh, also what the market is and the company size, workforce, population, that sort of thing, so we have a context, and then we'll move on to more interesting questions. Sure, I'd be glad to. Um, MWV is about a $5.5 billion company at Midwest Vaco. It's a company that was formed through a lot of different mergers and acquisitions over many years. In fact, we're going through a merger right now, uh, and the company is actually going to become quite a bit bigger. But um, to this point, uh, we're about a $5.6 billion company, and our key products are printed paperboard and corrugated and plastic dis- corrugated uh paper uh, and plastic dispensers, we, and we make pumps and sprayers and dispensing closures. Uh, we serve food and beverage, health care, home and beauty markets, and we have 325 facilities in the world and about 30 countries and about 42,000 employees. Now, obviously, where I am, it's just a plant with 200 people, 250 people in Slatersville, Rhode Island, and this plant was purchased from a company that was previously a private company named Polytop. In December of 2011, that company was founded in about 1957, and in this plant we make uh, dispensing closures like you'd have on a on a bottle of uh, French's mustard or 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 cosmetics or, or there's a lot of different types of caps we make. It's amazing how many there are, but uh, that's what we make here. So, and give us a sense of the uh, size of your workforce and union, non-union, and and what your process is like. Sure, we have about. Uh, in this plant, we have about 235 employees, and it's a, our processes involve injection molding, and, um, and then we use uh, some automation in conjunction with the molding to close or, in some cases, assemble two pieces together or three pieces together to make the final product. And, you know, there's a really interesting way that this particular uh, mechanism got invented, and I'd love for you to fill us in on that. Oh, okay. Well, um, the uh, the original um, the original cap for that that started this plant was invented by a gentleman in the 1950s. Uh, that uh, he actually started the company. He was uh, previously a, a lawyer, and uh, his wife had had a uh, had had a um, stroke, and she had problems with one of her hands and was not able to use them. So. He was uh, started working on the invention to create a plastic cap that could be used with some of the products that she was trying to use in the home for cleaning, etc. Uh, that would, uh, with one hand, could be opened or closed, and so she could dispense it easier. And that's that's how a lot of our products were invented. Isn't that amazing? And look what it's grown into. This is just we take it as absolutely indispensable to have a dispenser that we can flip with one hand and it came out of the love of this man for his wife helping her along and look at where benefiting and 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 mead mead west vaco is benefiting i think that's just so tremendous right is it a patent actually i'm wondering is it a patent because i see it everywhere well, there have been several patents, and some of the patents, of course, are expired by now because of the long period of time. But we do have patents on some of our designs, but, uh, but pr- probably not on that one anymore. Mm, mm, thank you. So, 
let's get into a little bit of what happened to you. What was your life like before you came to Slatersville? What was your own personal journey like? There's something very interesting that happened just a few years ago, and uh, I mentioned it in the um, description of the show that you had a kind of um, uh, startlement, or some people might call it an awakening or whatever, but it was really interesting. Really interesting the way that it came up. So would you would you start telling that story? We won't be able to complete it because we have a break coming up. But if you get us started, people will come back to listen to what happens next. Sure, I'd be glad to. Well, um, I don't know exactly where how far you want me to go back, but I've been with a company for 21 years, and for about the first 15 or 16 years, I moved through several different parts of the company. I was a plant manager in in uh, three different plants and. And I um, uh, moved to Mexico, and and we had a lot of a uh, lot of success there for the first about four years that I was there. Um, really tremendous growth. We went from about ten million dollars in sales to about thirty or forty million dollars in sales. Um, and then we had a situation with a subcontractor that was making some product for us in another plant, and they uh, decided to go out of business and uh, gave us about four months notice that we had to bring product out of that plant into our plant and so we didn't really have a choice if we wanted to continue to supply our customers we had to uh, absorb that into the plant in uh, Mexico and so we went from having about 500 employees to 950 employees in a four-month period and um, Basically, it created a tremendous amount of chaos. And, a and we're going to hold it right there. We're hold it right there, right? A cliffhanger. Find out what happens next. Join us after the break. Thank you, Kendall. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, 
please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. This is Gwendolyn. We are at the second part of our show today at the Visual Workplace, and we are welcoming and interviewing Kendall Henry, who is the plant manager of MWV Slatersville in Rhode Island. And what he was describing before the break was kind of an adventure that he embarked upon and didn't know it that was going to change many, many things about his thinking and therefore about his life. He had been with the company for almost 20 years. Oh, let's see, about 17 years at that time, I suppose. And was building a plant, uh, I should say running a plant in Mexico. Something happened. A subcontractor um, went out of business and he had to absorb a whole new operation and this set things on a completely new course. So tell us what happened then, please, Kendall. Okay, I'd be glad to. Um, so at the same time, I mean, actually at the time, I was responsible for three plants in Mexico. And so um, uh, there were a variety of other changes taking place in the company. And uh, as uh, let me kind of describe the crisis first, and then I'll talk about what happened to, to change how I thought about management. First of all, um, the crisis was basically that I had all my career had done very well, actually. That's why I kept getting new plants to manage. And, and I felt like I'd done a good job. The company thought I'd done a good job. But I had managed several plants, and, and, and we had grown. I had always had a group of experts in the plant who were you know, techn- technical experts especially that I would really rely heavily on that were either molding or, or uh, uh, automation uh, or programming uh, type experts, or, or just manufacturing experts in general, that could were good problem solvers and excellent people. You know, really fine supervisors and and uh, and 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 good at getting things done. So we'd always been very successful with that. But what happened and what changed is we grow we grew so fast, and we had so much happening that everything we had built pretty much just collapsed around us. We had quality problems, we had delivery problems, we had um, just a tremendous amount of frustration. We had cost overruns. Uh, it was it was it was um, it was the most difficult experience I've ever had professionally or even personally. It was just an unbelievable uh, experience, and, what and that was, was it? very painful. What was that, Kendall? Was it because the existing organization couldn't absorb so many different people or you couldn't find a place for a machine? What was going on that created, yeah. I think you once described it as a tsunami? It was a tsunami, yes. It just overwhelmed us. Well, it was just the overwhelming amount of, of first of all, what we do takes a lot of skills. And, and a lot of people, you know, if anyone's not familiar with the type of work we do, the automation that we use, it's a very highly automated. And, um, and, and the molding that we do with very large, high cavitation molds at running at very fast rates, there are a lot of things that can go wrong. We had to, we had a, we had a lot of tool makers that that, that uh, we needed to hire, but there were not there was not any available skilled workforce. So we had people who came in who didn't know what they were doing. We couldn't repair molds, we couldn't uh, start up machines correctly. We were breaking things when we tried to start it up. So it was basically it was the skills of the people. And uh, I I think you know one of the key things that I've learned over time is I don't know how do I say this. I started out my career. Um, <clears throat> 
before working at MWV, which was previously Calmar, the, the company that I worked for, working in, in quality, in the quality arena and doing total quality management. That was 20-something years ago, 25 years ago. And I always believed in involving people in process. I always believed in having projects and, and, and involving people in, in making decisions, but I never quite um, knew how to engage everyone. I mean, that was the difference. The point was, when, I, when we had this experience, we found that there was no way that the group of experts I had could get the problem solved, that could respond quickly enough, that could learn fast enough, that could communicate the information quickly enough about what needed to take place. And we just failed week after week, month after month for like six months as we're going through this. And then um, we made some changes. I hired another plant manager for that plant. Uh, I had I put a person in charge of my, one of my largest departments who had a lot of experience in lean manufacturing. He's actually the person I that uh, gave me the reference of your book work that makes sense and 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 uh, so that young man and the plant manager and then some other people we had from our company came in and gave us a lot of help and uh, and we learned to put that plus reading a book by David Mann and and learning about how to create a lean culture. Uh, we really focused on that and after a year we turned things around dramatically and everything we had lost we gained back again wow that's that's incredible so what made the difference was simply a, a new paradigm of thinking I say simply how uh, uh, how simple it is for me to say it was simply it was already a good fit in your belief system and then you had a formulation and you also had the um, support of people having written about it and evidence that it worked elsewhere and was it did it feel like a leap to you or did you as you read about it you said something like this is it was it tentative or was it oh yeah let's do this no it wasn't really tentative it was sort of do or die I mean we were we knew what we had to accomplish and I really believed in it and I had really good support from my manager uh, and from the top of the company, because even though we were losing a tremendous amount of money, they understood why, and um, they gave us the they gave us the time and the resources to get it done. So, we put a tremendous amount of effort into training people, and developing people, and developing visual systems of of indicators for how am I doing. I'm, I mean, I kind of based it on a principle that I still follow now, and this is kind of one of my main principles that I try to try to develop in, in, the, in the workforce, which is everyone needs to know what's expected of them from every perspective of what they're doing. They also need to know how they're doing, and hopefully they know right now and they don't have to wait till tomorrow to find out. It's something they want to be able to see, understand, and know, okay, I'm doing okay, I'm doing what I need to do, I'm, I'm, I'm there or I'm not. And then the other piece of the equation is for accountability, what am I supposed to do about it? And what's the process I have in place that's formal that helps me to do something about it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's really what we had to put in place and went through several iterations of, of using uh, some, some, some visual management. And, and uh, I mean, that was the key. And what was amazing, though, is we had spent, this is where my awakening was basically this. I had spent, had people spend hundreds of hours for years trying to solve some problems to eliminate scrap to 
to improve output on some machines, et cetera. And we had made some progress. We've made three or four percent or a couple percent every year. But when when I had everybody involved in indicating how am I doing managing their work by the hour, responding within the hour, understanding the criteria, raising a flag, getting someone to help, we had dramatic improvement. We had like 30, 40% improvement. It wasn't just, it wasn't small. So we just made huge, huge gains uh, overnight within, within a year, within one year, it was just dramatically different. That is so inspiring and yet we know it. We know these things. We've heard about them. We've heard about successes such as yours, but you actually lived it. There was no question in your mind about going back or of probably even thinking about experts in a completely different way. Wow, that was revolutionary. I love, I love the story because uh, it actually happened to you and it, because it supports things that we hear again and again that really does sound like apple pie and motherhood and yet what you're talking about is that your most valuable resource is people and you're giving it a business reason it isn't simply um, a question of being politically correct and nice it is utilizing people's capability to make a contribution to the company that's what you're talking about Way that's very, very cool. Very cool. All right, so then something else happened. Then there was a shift in your responsibilities, and you found yourself at Slatersville. So, take us through that transition and what you brought to this new plant and what uh, is motivating you to carry on. Well, um, yeah, that's kind of a interesting situation my I like I said I've been with the company for 21 years and we had a large restructuring last year and we eliminated about 500 management and technical positions throughout the company so my position was eliminated so they didn't need me to manage the plants in Mexico anymore uh, we re, we reorganized and they offered me uh, a chance to uh, either take a severance or to come to Rhode Island and um, and so you know it's kind of interesting choice but the severance was good and my wife kind of wanted me to stay in Missouri where we were living at the time but um, I had something kind of inside me that said um, you know what I did this we, I went through this thing in Mexico I learned so much and I could look for another job but I, I do really still love this company a lot and I saw this plant as a place that was uh, it's a 50-year-old plant, which is has tremendous people in it that have been here for a long time with a lot of knowledge, um, but they had not really developed this um, sense of well, they didn't have anything that was visual. They didn't have uh, the sense of of daily continuous improvement. There was just it just looked like a great place to to test what I thought I had learned before, because in Mexico I had started managing one way. And then after being there for four years, learned that I needed to do some things differently. So I did them differently. And I had a lot of help. Uh, and then I thought, well, I want to try this one more time. I want to try this and see if maybe I can, can do something. I can do something really special. And, and, and that's why I'm here. So yeah, decided yeah. to do it. Fantastic. Fantastic that uh, you should have this opportunity and recognize it, that you said yes to it. Uh, especially 
it's, it is like a laboratory for you. We're going to go into our second break um, in a moment. I think, Kevin, you're ready. And, uh, and we'll begin the story of the Slaterville, the MWV Slatersville um, portion right after the break. Um, should be very interesting to hear you. Now you're going to be stepping down. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll get the profile in place right after the break. Thanks, Kendall. I'm as riveted the second time as I was the first. <laughs> Thank you. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. This is our third segment of the show today here at the Visual Workplace. And I have the honor and pleasure of being uh, in conversation with Kendall Henry, who is the plant manager at MWV Slatersville, a division of um, Mead, just a moment, Mead West Vaco. And um, I want to return to a point that we were just leaving as we went into the break. And that is you had a successful four years at uh, this Mexican plant. Then you not exactly crashed and burned, but you certainly were challenged in a very substantial way. Recovered. You had one bad year. You recovered. The The plant did well. And then you had to leave that plant. And uh, during the break, we were talking about this, uh, that the plant continued to do well and was under the leadership of someone who had your same paradigm and who had been successful before and brought, built more success on your success. So I got that part right? 
You got it right. Thank you. Okay, good. So I want to now move to something interesting that um, I've observed. I have observed, I've worked with Mexican plants for 20 years, that the Mexican uh, culture is one of the most ready, resilient, intelligent uh, groups, uh, cultural uh, country-based cultures that I've encountered, that the workforce in Mexico and the nature of the people who live there is readiness, willingness, openness, intelligence. And so if there is a change to happen, it's a good place for it to happen. What's so interesting about your journey, Kendall, is that you did it against a different set of odds. It wasn't, it was cultural because you had this kind of mix of someone else's company coming into your company doing very skilled work and that made a bit of a mess. But the basic orientation was if there was any place to fail and come back again, Mexico is a really good one. And then you came to the United States and you didn't come to just anywhere in the United States. You came to the Northeast. I used to live in Boston, New York. You know, I know the Northeast. People are, you know... I wouldn't say they're, let's just say they are rambunctious. They have a tremendous sense of themselves as individuals as compared to the Mexican workforce, which is a pretty, I don't know if this, I'm sure this has been your experience because it's just the way things are. People move as one, they're harmonious, they're family-based, it's very unitized. And then you come to the Northeast with this paradigm, <laughs> this new paradigm. <laughs> so on the basis of that commentary, I just want you to take over and go somewhere with that and take us into your dreams and plans and start up at um, uh, MWV Slatersville, if you, get my, if you get my drift. Sure, I'd be glad to. Well, I, it's kind of where to start here. I, I'll kind of, I'll share with you something that happened last week, and then uh, I'll kind of go backwards. Um, as you know, one of the first areas that we started using the work that makes sense was, was in our dye shop. And the group gave us a presentation, uh, management of presentation about a week or two ago. And um, they were extremely enthusiastic about the, the, the current state that they have and their future state and what they're planning on doing and some of the things they've already accomplished. That was the smart, placement, the smart placement mapping, yes? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. And also, they were very... Um, I don't know. I can't. I, I'm just going to tell you that this is a group of people that some have been here for three or four years, but some have been here for 35 or 40 years. And I had two of them that have been here probably for over 25 years come in my office, and we had another topic we were discussing. But I said, "How's this going? Are you enjoying this?" And they said, "I'm going to tell you something." They both said this to me: "I love coming to work. I have not wanted to come to work for 10 years. I have been." dragging myself in here and 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 just couldn't stand it and i said wow i'm just so happy to hear that i said but you know i have a dirty little secret that's my that's my plan i said what happens if you i said what if you have a lot of what if you really love to be here what's going to happen to us as a company he said we're going to make more money i said yeah i know so can't you tell i mean i'm not doing this for you i'm really doing it for me (laughs) 
man. They did love that. I mean, the, the thing is, is another thing I always want to keep in mind, too, is that, and I really appreciate all the compliments you've given me and everything, but one of the most important things that I've learned is I'm really not all that smart. And I, I don't say that with false humility. Um, the, the thing is, what I've learned the most is that I'm not so good at solving problems as I thought I was or as I wanted to be. Or I would try to sit with a group of people and solve a problem. What I'm finding is so wonderful about this process is that if I let go, in a sense, I don't let go. I really tell people what the objective is, and I follow up with them, and I listen to them, and I keep talking to them, and I keep asking questions. But if I manage with questions instead of with directives, if I manage by getting people to think and keep asking questions, they will give you amazing solutions. And not only that, but when you walk out on the floor and you look at them, and they're pres- they're showing you the, the either the maps that they're working on or the or the projects that they're working on they get these big huge smiles on their face and they say you know i can't believe he's and and i've heard over and over and over i've heard people say to me no one's ever asked me what i thought before mm-hmm. and no one and so what it's the the key here is to get managers and even that have managed a different way that work that, that i'm working with here they all love it too but just to kind of remind them all the time go out if you don't sit in a room and try to solve a problem go out to the floor and talk to the people that are experiencing it and get their answer because they're going to solve it for you. And they'll probably solve it in 15 minutes instead of you taking three days of arguing about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they'll already own the solution when, when, it, when it's put into place because it'll be part of their solution. Yeah, it's Absolutely. really wonderful. I, I want to introduce something in our conversation now that is, um, I want to be very plain about this because it's a theme that you and I have talked about as we prepared for our conversation today, as, early, as recently as even yesterday. And that is, it isn't so much that visuality is the answer, but you're doing visuality in, and you're doing lean in order to get to something else. And that even though these this strategy, the improvement strategy, has the name, work that makes sense, operator-led visuality, and it is developed for developing self-leadership on the operator level and this kind of uh, rambunctiousness of, boy, I love to come to work. Your goal, your eye is kept on a kind of different construct, and I'd like, I really think that people would benefit from hearing how you articulate that. You do it so very well. Wow. Um, for me, everything is about um, respect, um, focusing on what, I mean, I kind of tried to say it earlier. I mean, I want to make sure that everybody knows what's expected. They own what's expected. They feel accountable for what's expected. They know what, how they're doing. They know how they're doing by the hour and by the minute. And that they know that they have the right, the authority, and not just the authority, but the ability and the responsibility to to take action, to make things happen. That improvement is something that has to happen every minute, every day, and 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 that we don't come to work. I I, I love what you said at the beginning of the of the uh, interview here when you said what Taichi Ono said about people don't come to work to, at Toyota they come to think and and that's really what I'm after I mean that's pretty much it I'm, I want people to come and think I want them to I want them to 
understand what's necessary, know how they're doing, and know that they have the ability and, and authority to get something done about it. That's that's what I'm after. And you also use a word that I'd love for you to use now, use it in a sentence so we understand your take on it, accountability. This is recurrent with you. Please unnest that for us. Well, accountability is it has multiple levels uh, you're only you're everybody's accountable for certain things i can say that at, at an operator level are they accountable for the level of production not really what they're level what they're accountable for is communication they're accountable to see what the production is to see what the quality is to see uh you know how the machine's running and to record that or at least see it somewhere if it's if it's an automated type system and then to know when to respond what's your trigger point and to respond so their accountability is to respond and what we had so much success with in mexico and which i'm trying to bring it to place here which we're getting kind of getting started on is get people to understand what's the trigger point when am i supposed to do something because a lot of times we feel like victims and we we sit and we watch something go bad all day, or we watch something go bad for weeks or years or months or years, and we think, well, it's just like this. It's never going to change, and we don't own it. We don't own the problem. So we have to take ownership of the problem and say, okay, this is my problem now because I know I'm responsible for telling somebody. I'm going to tell someone, and then it's our responsibility as superv- supervision, management, technical support to solve those problems, and uh, that's what it's about for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and your role, would you describe a typical day, a t- typical week in what you do as a leader of improvement? What is your behavior? And, and we will bring in what Zeph is doing and, and Michelle and Robert and Kevin and your team of trainers. You know, you uh, I, I'll mention to the listeners, uh, listening audience that um, um, Kendall did decide to train his trainers in work that makes sense, and I think that uh, you also engaged in training of trainers for other methodologies as well, and that's important. There is, I think, there are two and two groups now going. I met with the team yesterday, a long distance, and a third group that is going through the process that's making a visual conversion and all of that is chugging along and people are learning and the trainers are learning they're learning about the content they're learning how to implement all that stuff but I want to kind of isolate your role Kendall about what are your behaviors things that we might call leadership behaviors that you aim to do weekly that you aim to do daily that kind of thing Okay, so we just got a signal for a break. We'll go into it now. And Kendall, that'll be the organizing question for our next segment. Thank you. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. 
Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. This is Gwendolyn. Welcome back to the last segment of our show today here at the Visual Workplace. We're in conversation with Kendall Henry. And I want to make sure that we frame this last segment in a way that you, our listeners, know what this show is about. This show is not about singing the praises of work that makes sense or visuality or walking you through the methodology or following, asking Kendall to explain what the protocol is for bringing visuality is in into the plant. What this show is about is an opportunity to enter into the world of the leader of improvement, an executive who has decided to expand his identity and his scope of contribution to include something more than just making the company successful along traditional lines, to actually create new competencies in the company. So what we have the privilege of doing, listeners, you and me, is to listen as Kendall describes what his experience is what triggered him, what stimulated, inspired him to make a shift, and what that shift is like. And that was, that's the nature of the question that we left the last uh, segment with. What is your day life? And, and also, if you would, would expand that at some point to how does that fit to what's going on with the rest of this very large, I think you said, did you say 435 sites? Because the last uh, time I looked, you had 30. <laughs> No, 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 no. 325 facilities so far. Oh, I see. I was off by 100. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, go ahead. The floor is yours. Yeah, sure. What well, is that like? Oh, that's, a, that's a great question, Gwen. I, I'm, you know, I, this is all pretty humbling to me because all I feel like I'm really doing is, is um, everything's an experiment for me. And, um, I'm an, yes, I'm an experience manager, and, and yes, I make sure that the day-to-day things happen. Of course, we have orders to make, we have customers to take care of, we have things to respond to, and we're doing that. So I wouldn't want to make it seem that I don't have those responsibilities. I have accountabilities to, to communicate information that's vital to, to my, our upper management and to our stockholders and to be responsible to the, to the company, do the, the, the typical things I'm supposed to do as a manager. But, but I also... I like to 
the way I want to go about it and what I'm trying to do is trying to learn and I try to watch how some of the other managers in the company are, are, are going on what they would call their lean journey and, and what they're learning. And what I find is that when we get together and we discuss it, it's all pretty humbling because you can, I have read so many books and talked to so many people and seen so many different things and there's, there's a lot of things in common. There's a lot of things that are not in common. But the one thing that seems to be the key to success, and, and this is what, and, and a, when I did a tour of Toyota plant in Kentucky, one of the things that they said was, um, and one of the keys of Toyota is that, you know, you, people people think, and, um, and, and the machines aren't really that smart yet. I mean, maybe someday they will be, but it, when you come to work, the whole idea, main thing you're supposed to do as a leader is to develop your people. And you're supposed to work with helping them to understand. And so that doesn't mean telling them. That means asking a lot of questions. And so what I've had to do to change my style, and I'm, I'm, I'm not near as good at it as I want to be yet, that is to ask a lot of questions about why things happen and get people to think about it and ask them you know, why do you think that? Where, where, why do you think that's a problem? And, and where's your information? And get them to use data. And and I was just as I work with supervisors that are not used to this kind of questioning, it really throws them off, and they're they just kind of get a blank stare, and they they want me to tell them what to do, and I just say no, I, I don't want to tell you what to do. I want you to, I want you to, I want you to go find out. Do so, you sincerely not know when you ask those questions? Do you sincerely yeah, normally, not know? No, I don't know the answers. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'd say most of the time I don't. Well, how do I put this? I can't know the answer because usually the thing I'm asking them is to get get more facts because I don't think that they're trying to make decisions or mm-hmm. respond from knee jerk without having facts. Mm-hmm. I have ideas about what it might be, mm-hmm. and I can see that what they're telling me probably is maybe not the right conclusion, but I'm not necessarily so. But it's I could sincere. go do the work for them. It's very sincere, yeah. But I, and I can't possibly know everything. That's the other thing I've learned a long time ago. I, I don't know the answers. It, it's crazy. My job is to help them to think and help them to know how to find the answers. And if I teach them how to find the answers, they will, they will learn the answers and they'll learn something even more important, which is how to find them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it sounds as though in a kind of oblique way, indirect way, your the mothership, the big corporation that you work for, is supporting what you're doing because they have provided you with a, a, a plant that you can basically recreate or strengthen the work culture there based on your own um, pre- preferences or your own vision. And and they su- it sounds as though they support that, that they are aligned sufficiently for you to carry on with your own investigation. Am I reading that right then? Yeah, you are. It's actually it's kind of a nice situation because actually we are experimenting in several plants and we do share a lot of information and there are many common practices that we have throughout the plants. But what I'm really happy about is that we're not we're not prescribing that it has to be exactly uh, one, two, three, four in each of the plants and we're actually each approaching it from a little different way. Now, some point in the future, we may standardize that. And um, 
-hmm. and that might be a good thing. Mm -hmm. But right now, it's uh, we have these laboratories going on all over the world, and uh, we're trying to figure this thing out. So that's what we're doing. It sounds as though you are held together or anchored in a set of values, and you mentioned them before: accountability, visuality, respect. Uh, although you haven't mentioned it, I know it's on your agenda to do standard work so that you can create stability. And stability is another term that I've heard you use um, repeatedly, finding a new way to manage and to grow the company. So I, I myself, no one's asking my opinion right now, but I myself feel that it's more important to have that agreement on a principal level and then have these uh, experiments, these different ways of getting to the same uh, outcome, sort of like the spokes of a wheel all going into the center. They're all connected, but the center can be approached from what appears to be opposite ends, and yet it's still going to the same center. Uh, I, uh, I, I am um, moved and inspired by the fact that a company that does Plastic extrusion and uh, packaging is itself using its company, parts of its company, to learn a better way. It isn't, you aren't a hospital. You don't have saving lives as part of your corporate mission. You're making packaging, and yet this transformation is going on. And I find that to be a very, very moving that that this is going on in many, many companies around the world simply because it's the right way or the better way to, to run a company. I, I, I think that's terrific. And I'm really glad that you stayed with uh, the mothership, <laughs> that you didn't take a golden parachute or go to work for another company because you've got such a well-connected opportunity to make this change and to also help other, other leaders to... to uh, to follow or to uh, at least be inspired. It's very wonderful. Thank you. I, I'm, I, that wasn't a question, so <laughs> I didn't give you much room, but do you have any commentary on that? No, um, it is true. I mean, it's nice to be in a company that gives me the opportunity to do this. Um, you know, it was kind of interesting. I, with, it's tough to make a change like that. It's tough to give up a plant. It's tough to see changes in the company that have to take place. But I did understand why the company was making the changes it was making, and I understood why we had to restructure. And we basically did have a bloated structure that didn't need to be that big. And, and so given that, I knew we had to make changes. And, uh, and I've been very happy with, with the experience I'm having here, and I'm really looking forward to... Uh, to accomplishing some amazing things here. I think we're just barely started the journey. Yeah. Yeah. I I would agree. I've been I've met with your team long distance for a couple of times over the last couple of weeks just because we're trying to uh, make a shift and I can hardly wait to see what will happen in a year but right now there is a kind of nexus point where things are shifting from the old way at MWV Slatersville to a new MWV Slatersville, and it, it really is like watching a soap opera or a cliffhanger. What's going to happen next? Is it going to happen? Is our, is our heroine going to save the guy who's strapped to the railroad tracks? And, you know, are we going to have a victory here? And will we recognize it? And will we go on to a happy future? And all of that is very much dependent on what you do as the leader. And it seems to me, Kendall, that you are making the right 
internal decisions to leave, lead the plant forward in a way that will be productive and prosperous. And uh, I'm watching with fascination. Um, you are a Barracuda leader, even though you didn't know it. And I find that to be uh, my own area of study and interest. I want to thank you very, very much for joining us today and uh, for doing the great work that you're doing and for simply soldiering on and moving along this journey that you're already committed to. Um, anything else that you want to add? We've got just a couple of seconds left. No, thanks. I appreciate the opportunity. It's no problem. And again, I would just say uh, it's all kind of humbling for me because there's really a whole bunch of people that I work with in Mexico that taught me a tremendous amount. And there's other parts, other people in our company that are teaching me a tremendous amount. We teach each other every day. So mm. I think the one of the biggest keys I learned is we're not so smart as we think we are. And as long as we stay humble and we listen to each other and we ask the right questions, we'll get better. Mm. Thank you. Thank you very much, Kendall. Thank you, everyone. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I'm signing off. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.